Hello, curious people. This is part two of our interview with Scott Van Boris. We talk about energy and how we each have our own way of perceiving vibes from others and from the world around us. So if you haven't listened to part one, I highly recommend that you check out that episode first. I found all of our conversation really helpful and affirming, especially just to hear insights from Emily and Scott's own experiences. So I hope you love these chats as much as we did having them. And now for part two of our interview with Scott Van Boris. You're listening to Divinely Curious, the podcast for mystics, seekers, and the spiritually curious. I'm Heather Augusta. Join me and my co-host, Emily Rose, for spirited discussions about what's capturing our curiosity and what we're discovering along the way. So let's talk about energy because I think all all three of us are really into learning and experiencing energy fields. And it's really fascinating not only to hear what other people's experiences are of the human energy field, but also what we know in terms of what we've learned from resources and trainings and stuff like that. Because I know personally, I started to dive into this and didn't know that there were words and names for all of these things that I was perceiving. So I'd love to hear, Scott, about your experience of the human energy field. How do you work with the energy field and what you know from your training about how the human energy field works? Well, I think a lot of what I've learned is just through my Reiki training and then also just obviously working with clients and what their experience is. And I think the surprising thing to me, even though I was exposed to it so long ago by my mom, because she was, at least I think that book was out at the time, but Louise Hay's book, right? Where she kind of correlates areas of the body with certain conditions and emotions that may be stuck there. But what I'm leading up to is I was surprised at the emotional connection with the different energy centers of the body and how certain emotions tend to get stuck in a certain energy center. And so many of us are walking through the world with kind of a messed up lower energy system where we're carrying, we're just packing our own version of trauma right? Uh, whether it's big trauma or little trauma, it's, it's living in our lower energy system. What is your own experience of the human energy system? Like, how do you perceive it and how do you work with it? So I perceive it as energy moving through my body just by this tactile tingling feeling. So I'm a, I'm a big feeler. I can like really feel energy. I have seen it. I don't always see it on clients or in clients. I feel it as an empath. I feel like, like, oh, there's something going on in your chest. I feel this tingling in my chest. So my body becomes like the information that I'm using to tell what's going on in them. That's how I perceive it. And then when I'm actually laying hands on, I can obviously feel it moving through me and feel it in them, even in the space like above their body, like I might feel like some resistance or some tingling or for me, it's all very somatic oriented or or body based in terms of how I perceive energy. Emily, how do you perceive the energy field? Well, I think, well, I guess now, because before I had tools to really protect my energy and protect my 
layers of perception. I just was doing kind of what we, what you were talking about, Scott, before with entering into a room and saying, oh my gosh, what happened here? <laughs> you know, fe feeling that. Uh, I actually had ex an experience where I was, I used to travel a lot for work and I was, went to a hotel and I went in this room and I was like, I can't be in this room. I can't be in here. And I'm, and so I just went to the person at the desk and I just kind of, I was like, I can't be in that room. And they're like, oh my gosh, is something still broken in there? And I said, what do you mean? They're like, oh, there was a domestic dispute in there just a few hours before we checked you in. And I was like, that's why I can't be in here. It, it just felt so awful. Like there was no, so I kind of had it confirmed a few times that way. Like, oh no, I am picking up something that's that's happening. So I feel like I, I have that type of thing. But after kind of working with mentors and, and teachers and things, I still have that type of experience to some degree, but I'm able to really like zip up my energy body now. And I used to like literally like see things <laughs> like when I was just walking around in the store and I'm like, I don't want to see this stuff. And so I feel like almost the more I become my true self, the more I almost become no one. <laughs> I don't know the right way to put it when I'm like out in spaces and things. I feel like I'm just, I'm very much really zipped up in myself. And I almost am not experiencing a lot of things in that way because it's just so overwhelming. And so now though, I read for clients a lot and I have a very particular way that I go in and work with them that is within my energetic boundaries. And that feels really good. But it took a long time to get there <laughs> um, to do that because it was just someone would come on and I would just experience all this stuff, you know, what they were experiencing and it was overwhelming and that's how daily life was too. And now it's zipped up more and it's at a very healthy place, it feels like now. But before it used to just be like a bombardment of emotions and physical sensations. And it was just kind of the whole smorgasbord is what it felt like. I did some work with guides and non-ordinary reality to ask for help to be able to function in the world <laughs> in a way. And that's been immensely helpful. When you do readings with people, you said you see people's chakra colors. So you're actually seeing energy colors and things like that. And you have said in other episodes that you will see symbols and are there other things um, that are not necessarily like psychic facty kind of things, but like actual energy that you're perceiving? Is it just coming in visually or are you getting any physical sensations from it? I just kind of, when I'm with people in like the physical world and I'm moving through it. I kind of feel it in my emotions a lot with people. I usually feel emotionally what people are feeling and that makes conversations kind of hard because when someone's trying to stay on the surface level and they don't want to go deep in that conversation and they're talking about something and you're like, none of that matters. This is really what's going on. So I feel like I kind of sense more on the emotional. I'm not like, I don't so much get physical sensations other than like emotional, I would say, is what I tend to feel now with people. So that's probably what I experience most is just kind of sensing others' emotions. And now with the psychic stuff, though, like I do kind of get why <laughs> they're feeling that way. Sometimes I'll, I'll feel that. And then depending on the person and, you know, I like to respect boundaries and things. So I'm not just trying to feel into everyone's fields, but 
if they give me permission, a lot of times I can sense why, or I just kind of already naturally have an inkling why. So I would say that, that that's kind of how they go together. That's another telltale sign that you're an empath, right? Is when you're talking to somebody and there's this incongruency with what they're saying versus what you're feeling like this doesn't. Yeah. Also, Emily, I loved how you said you zip up your energy. Could you talk about that just real quick? Like what's your process for zipping up? Well, I have this wonderful mentor of mine who I, I don't think she wants me to say who she is. Every time I always want to give credit to who told me this, but she's like, don't talk about me on podcast because she's like has a corporate type job. But one of the things that she taught me was literally like put on like a hazmat suit is kind of what she taught me. Like when you're going into like a situation that, you know, is gonna bring up things or maybe it's just an icky situation or, you know, might be emotionally charging or whatever. I'll literally go in and, you know, within a couple minutes, I can go into non-ordinary reality. I go in and I ask my guides to be with me to help me. And then I put on like a hazmat type suit thing and then I come out. So I literally go in, but that's because it's really fast for me, but I don't think you have to. I think you can just visualize it too. Yeah. So have you heard of Donna Eden? She's a big energy medicine type person. Yeah. She talks about a just kind of like literally just moving your hands up the front of your energy system to just close everything up and then do the same in the back. So you're just kind of zipping front and back, closing those energy centers so that you're a little more protected. Very similar. Yeah, I love that. I love the physical act of that. I bet that could be really powerful for people. Yeah, any kind of words or tools or anything that we share with people, I think are super helpful because sometimes like how powerful is that visualization? The zip up, everybody can relate to that. And if you can relate to it, then you can easily implement it too. So I think that's really awesome. So one of the things I was curious about is we've been talking about the energy field and you had mentioned a little bit earlier about how we all have an energy field and our energy fields are bumping up against that. How do you talk to people who have no idea what an energy field is? How do you explain that to them in a way that they can relate to, at least cognitively? Well, I guess it it depends on if the person's open (laughs) to that. Like, where are they on their receptivity scale for anything that's that I can't see, touch or feel? So one way I describe it is just electricity. I mean, we literally have this built in electrical system, right? That is our nervous system. And I think people can wrap their heads around the fact that you can measure the voltage of the electricity that's running through our body at any time they've done this. Right. And, you know, I do get some engineers, right? So I can talk engineering that's even more helpful, but when you're running electricity in a certain direction, it creates a field around the wire. Same thing is happening in our bodies, right? This electricity is running through us constantly the measurable electricity and it's generating this field around our body. And so I I try and explain it like that. And that seems to resonate, especially with the engineering types (laughs) that may not be so open to the way that you and I might talk about an energy system. And really in that case, I'm just talking about the field, right? So they can understand like, oh, you know, this is why it's important to ground. And there's been this big kind of groundswell around earthing which is grounding, but the very mechanical act of touching my skin, my body to the earth, 
which they can measure changes the negative ions in our body and the voltage in our body and has great health benefits that they've measured just from earthing. And now they have all these like a pad you can put on your bed so you can sleep connected to a grounded surface or under your desk. So you put your feet on a grounded surface, but that's the same thing as grounding. It's just a very mechanical side of it. So even for people who are not savvy about energy or aware of energy, how do you describe or what is your awareness of chakras? Because there's the actual electrical energy field that we have. But as far as I understand, there's a mental field and there's an emotional field and all that. What do you know about this? Yeah. So you're talking about the aura, which is bigger in in my understanding than just the actual electrical (laughs) field that we generate right and it depends on who you ask right some people say there are seven layers to our aura some people say there are many more i actually don't have a personal experience or perception of the different layers of the aura i've just kind of learned this from teachers each of those layers corresponds to the seven chakras in our body which by the way, we have many, many, many thousands more of these energy centers throughout our system, but the seven primary ones is where I focus. And I talk about this with my empaths and my empath group, because I think a lot of our empath experience comes from our energy system in those chakras. So the root chakra at your tailbone is all about safety and getting your basic needs met. And it's really our anchor into this incarnation, into this physical experience. It's what connects us to the earth and it's what we're opening and connecting when we do grounding. Like it's pulling us back into our body. It's getting us anchored into this incarnation. And so if you have people that show up that are not comfortable being in their body, not comfortable being still, don't feel like they have enough, you know, those types of things can be informative about what might be going on in their energy system. And you can give them kind of exercises around that. And I tend to focus, right or wrong, more on the lower three energy centers. It seems to be where people are carrying most of their stuff, heart too. Well, I take that back. <laughs> really throat down is tends to be where my work happens because a lot of times you'll have like I'm all over the map. Let me go back and then we'll get to the throat. But with the sacral chakra, that's our emotional uh, center, right? It's our juicy chakra is what a lot of people call it. It's where our passion lives. It's our center of creation. So if we're creating something in the world like this podcast or a project at work or even human life, right? That's the center of our energy system that's about birthing new things into our experience in this world. It's funny you mentioned dancing earlier, that super healing and energizing for that sacral chakra. Any type of hip movement really gets things moving in that area. It's also where a ton of people are carrying like all kinds of trauma, sexual trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma, any type of abuse like that tends to live to some degree in that chakra. It doesn't have to be limited there. It's where our abundance lives. I believe too, like creativity, you know, abundance around financial abundance, but also joyful experience, like being abundant in my experience in the world. And then the solar plexus is our sense of self and self-worth. 
like who am I in this experience tends to live in that energy center. So people that are having a hard time or have low self-esteem, like that kind of clues me into like, oh, there's some work that needs to happen in that solar plexus. So many layers to these different energy centers, but the solar plexus tends to be a masculine center. People who have a strong solar plexus tend to be more assertive and an out of whack, like blown open solar plexus. You can be, you know, narcissistic and overbearing and domineering. So like all things you want your energy centers to be balanced. I think the other thing I should say is there's a front and a back, right? for the middle chakras, not the root. Although I would say the root and the crown are the front and back of each other. <laughs> Whereas the ones on our body have a front of our body and a back body to each energy center. And there's different things and emotions correlated with each of those. It's kind of funny because you hear a lot of people in the spiritual communities talk about how everybody romanticizes the crown chakra and the third eye chakra, but so few people actually want to do the work on the root chakra, the sacral chakra, the solar plexus chakra. People talk about doing heart chakra work, but heart chakra work can be really hard. Nobody wants to talk about the throat chakra. It's not glamorous work to be working with those. And it's uncomfortable. It's hard work clearing that stuff that ends up living there. Yeah, so the heart, that's our center of love, both love that we give to others and love that we receive. So some people, often empaths, <laughs> have huge heart centers and they're just giving and serving, but at the expense of themselves and may actually have a hard time receiving love or other things from other people help from other people breath work can be super helpful for heart type stuff grief tends to live in the heart as well because grief is typically the end of an arc of love you know that tends to live in the heart and then the throat it i mean it's one of my areas but it's where we are able to speak our truth right so if our throat is closed down we have a hard time Speaking our truth is also a powerful manifestation center. So putting things into words for us is way more powerful than I think people give credit for. I've heard it referred to the throat chakra as being the chamber of the heart. It's like the chimney of the heart because the heart usually expresses itself through the throat chakra, through our self-expression. And so I see the solar plexus and the throat as quite connected. If I have low self-esteem, it may be because my voice has been blocked by parents or spouse or partner or whatever. So both of those tend to like, in my perception, shrink or grow together. Not always, but there's some sort of harmony or connection between those two energy centers. So if I'm not able to speak my truth, it often dampens my self-worth and vice versa. If I have a big self-worth and I'm able to vocalize that. So one of the things that I think has been really helpful about learning about the chakras and the different energy fields is that it has given me an actual location to focus intention and to work on. Because a lot of these concepts, because we can't see or smell or taste or hear them, whatever, to understand that they exist, it's so much easier to work with these energies when you know like 
kind of where they live or what they correspond to. I found that immensely helpful with the chakras, but also with just understanding that there is a mental energy field and that there's an emotional energy field. And that sometimes as empaths, when we are navigating the world, you're like, how do I know this about this person? How am I perceiving this? Well, it's because that person is projecting it in an emotional energy, a cloud of emotions around themselves or a cloud of mental you know, static around themselves. Yeah. And I find that people often have physical manifestations of issues too, like GI issues. Oh, there's probably something going on with your solar plexus and or your sacral chakra. Like they're holding. So I do this other thing called brain spotting, which is like a neurobiological based tool to release trauma. And so I, I read a lot about trauma and I work with people who have trauma, but the brain literally like shunts that into the body. Like if I'm flooded in some experience with some emotion I can't process or handle or release, I unconsciously will store that somewhere in my body, typically in our torso somewhere which is where our energy centers are, right? A lot of them. Anger tends to end up in like the liver area. So they may have like liver gallbladder type issues. And just as an example, those types of things can also inform your energy work. Like, oh, you're having this symptom or you're having this issue. There's probably something going on here. It's like it logs it. It's like, I cannot process this. So I'm going to store this in another part of the body to be dealt with later where it has to be metabolized. Like trauma is like that. It gets stored somewhere and then it needs to be metabolized at some point because that's the only way it'll process and move through and heal is to get that metabolizing. Yeah. It's emotion, right? And emotions, I'm sure you've heard this before a lot several people have said like it's energy in motion <laughs> and so when it's not moving and it's stuck it's not a good thing and sometimes it's stuck there because we don't have the tools or capacity to deal with it like that's why if you aren't ready to process your trauma then that's fine it'll be there for you later <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right and it may be knocking at the door at some point <laughs> through some other physical manifestation and so when someone wants to, you know, like can become aware, okay, I have this issue going on, or maybe they have a session with you or with someone who can kind of help them identify, okay, this is where there's something going on energetically, you know, maybe it's happening in your sacral chakra or what have you. One thing I thought that was interesting that you said is, you know, kind of doing a physical action to kind of start. So maybe it's like breath work or something, depending on where it is. Is that what you'd kind of recommend for somebody and then I get everybody's different <laughs> so not to make this super super generalized but it's like that's what we can connect to immediately is some type of physical action and then that might unlock or unfurl some emotions that have been tangled in there for a while how do you kind of recommend working through that or what's your experience with that yeah, I think it's important to kind of do not bypass the emotional work in favor of the action, but it's also important to do the action to complement the emotional work. So I think it's a two pronged approach, or it usually should be, where we're doing some emotional work, whether it's through brain spotting or coaching, you know, conversational or some other mechanism, but, you know, following that up with maybe it's breath work or physical movement 
or something else. So I think it's uh, important to do both. Like that's why you see these people go to yoga class or a breathwork class or something like that. And suddenly they're having these spontaneous emotional outbursts, right? The practice has unlocked something within them. And that's great. I think it's important not to just ignore that too, but to go work through that, whether that's on your own with just introspective practices like journaling or meditation, you know, really paying attention to the emotion and the feeling, as opposed to just put that back away. I don't want to see that, right? Or, or getting some help to work with somebody to work through that. In Chinese medicine, I think, you know, when they're working with meridians and qi, it's like energy is either flowing or it's stagnant. It's either flowing or it's blocked. And they always treat all ailments as an overabundance of energy or a blockage of energy. And that isn't true for all things, I think like when we're dealing with emotional stuff, but I think that's a really wonderful place to start, especially if you can't wrap your head around, like, how do I even deal with this issue? Well, maybe the first step is just to get some energy moving around it. And realizing like, oh, <laughs> I am carrying some stuff around there that I might need to look at. I think it's so tempting for most people because we've been trained to just suppress, suppress, suppress. And so when that does come out, it can be very scary. So some people are like, whoa, where did that come from? And so the natural tendency is to put that back away, put that back in a box. You know, I don't want to deal with that, but there's a reason it's coming out. And so, yeah, I just, I try and encourage everybody to, you know, take time to look at that and to use a overused phrase, you know, you have to feel it to heal it. You know, the emotions trying to tell you something Let's look at that and let it be felt and let it move out of you so you're not carrying that with you anymore. I'd love to circle back around to creating energetic boundaries from a practical perspective. But what is happening on an energetic level when someone is creating a boundary for themselves? Wow, that's a good question. I don't know that I have a specific answer. I mean, I, I guess what I would say to that is when we are setting a boundary, it's we're sending an energetic intention in our energetic system that our energy kind of stays with us and your energy or whoever outside of your system is staying outside of your system. I mean, I'm a huge believer in intention with respect to energetic work. The energy goes where we intend it to go, whether it's through our words or our visualization. And so setting a boundary like say you're setting a shell or a bubble around your system. It's like a program. You're setting like a running program around your energy system that is containing your energy and keeping out others' energy through your intention. Yeah, so what's happening when someone doesn't have boundaries? What's happening energetically when someone has no boundaries? Oh yeah, then energy is just kind of leaking everywhere, right? It's, it's mixing, it's going back and forth. And you see this a lot with like codependent type relationships where the other person's energy is like literally inside this person's system and vice versa. Like if you were to look at two people and say one was a red color and one was a blue color, you would see the blue and red like completely mixing within their systems. So that's a very boundaryless relationship <laughs> in that situation. I think of it as almost like having all your windows and doors open and like animals are coming in and smells and rain is coming in and just strangers are coming in through your, into your house. 
Yeah, it's very <laughs> messy, right? Yeah. It's very messy. Yeah. It's so interesting you say that too, because I was looking for a particular type of practitioner to help me with something in my life. And I could tell from her email that she didn't have boundaries when I was messaging with her back and forth, or she didn't have strong boundaries. Cause it was like, you can text me anytime and I'll reply and I could do this. And, and I was like, oh, I don't want to work with you. <laughs> That's what I thought. And I think you put it so precisely why is because there's energy seeping in that's going to seep out at me maybe as a client because I was just instantly like no I can't work with her (laughs) when I was reading all of the things that maybe it was fine for her and I'm just projecting that but I kind of got the sense that it wasn't and yeah so that that's really helpful (laughs) or an interesting way that you put that yeah thanks for saying that I think it's good for us as practitioners to hear that too that Our boundaries are just as important for us as they are for our clients. I have heard, and I feel like you and I had maybe talked about this a little bit in an email, Scott, but we hear references to grounding, which we've talked about. So grounding your energy. You also hear people talk about discharging energy, resetting energy, and recharging energy. So I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about what those different things are and what does it actually feel like when you are, you know, discharging energy or recharging energy or resetting your energy? Yeah. Great question. So I think the discharging, you may feel it right when you go outside or you get in a Epsom salt bath or you visualize that grounding connection, you'll feel like it's like a shift in your body, right? You're letting go of whatever, you know, you need to let go of that you shouldn't be carrying or you don't want to carry anymore. So discharge usually feels like a relief to me. Like, oh, that was yucky what I was feeling. Now I feel better. I feel centered. I feel more present in the moment. I can think clearly again. You know, it's a bit of relief, right? That discharge. So recharge, you know, different things for different people. But for me, it's like some quiet time, right? I need to just sit and be quiet for a bit or creative. Any type of creative pursuit is often very recharging. So I'm going to write or I'm going to, if you're an artist, like paint or draw or something, or if you're a musician, I'm going to go play some music and make music. Any of those types of creative pursuits can be energizing and recharging as well as like physical. So like if you're in the athletic type, getting out and going for a run or a bike ride or something can be very, that can actually be both clearing and recharging at the same time. And then reset. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it's not so different from recharging, but I think just maybe a little more intention around that. I don't know. I've had a, I've had a long week or something and I need to get into a, a new headspace. One thing I do do sometimes, and I call this kind of raising your vibration, but you know, like it, like any good human, right. I can get in the doldrums and spiral into kind of a bad place. And if I'm able to be conscious for a moment and present, and then I can intentionally raise my energy, raise my vibration and, So the way that I do that is just think of some like great memory I had where I was super joyful and and happy. It might be something with my partner or my kids or a pet or a friend, you know, some moment where I felt like super like fulfilled and joyful. 
And I tell you, every time, if I can really connect with that, you know, I'm in a new headspace in a few minutes. The trick is getting to that point where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in this crappy place. Let's reset. Yeah, that sounds like a literal reset. I know for me, physically just going to a different location can really help. I mean, I think a lot of people, when they go on vacation somewhere, a lot of times they feel like they've just reset their energy because they've completely taken themselves out of the situation, the work or home situation where they're sort of mired in a particular kind of energy and they physically plunked themselves down into a new situation. And sometimes for me, I just need to get in the car and like just go somewhere, even just go to the grocery store or just take a little drive somewhere or something like that physically could kind of reset my energy. Emily, do you have things that you do to reset your energy? Oh yeah. I totally relate to you, Heather, when you were talking about just going out and going for a drive because I've worked from home for last 10 years or so. And so when you're in your home and you feel stuck sometimes. And so I used to go every single day out for coffee just to get in my car, go out for coffee like mid-morning or in the afternoon. And that really helped reset just, okay, I'm leaving my house. I'm going, I'm doing. So I think that that physical thing is important. And then I do an energy cleansing in non-ordinary reality is, is what I do. I do most things there <laughs> realizing as we're talking where I, I just asked my guides to show me an energy cleansing practice and then they showed me one. And now I just go in there and do that, especially after working with clients, I go in and do that. And then also just walking in my neighborhood is really helpful because I think it's what you were talking about, Scott, which is kind of you're releasing things and then getting embodied, but the moving and so I do a lot of walking, even if I can just walk to the end of my street and back. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a, like an hour-long workout or something, right? I love how you both talked about getting out of the house. I think that's so important, especially these days, now that so many of us are working from home full-time, right? Just getting away from your desk, getting away from everybody that's in your house for a few minutes. I think another really helpful reset tool is to connect with another human. So a lot of times, some of us empathic people can become very introverted, but I've noticed sometimes I've been very reluctant to like go and socialize, have tea with someone or take a walk with somebody or go and do something. But just the act of connecting with another human I found is really can help reset. Or if you don't have any humans available, connecting with an animal, like a pet, have some quality snuggle pet time with your cat or your dog or your iguana. And that I feel like is a really good energetic reset too. I agree. Yeah. I love that. Cause you kind of entrain to each other and whatever you're entraining to is going to be different than whatever you were in before. Yeah. And connecting with a dear friend that you can like really relate to is so energizing and healing. It's really healing, right? Yeah. Kind of what I'm obsessed with in general is the connection between concepts, you know, like between different concepts that we have. And then as you become more of a spiritually aware, energetically aware kind of person, you realize that there's a lot of blurred things and that we call something one thing. And why do we call it that? That doesn't even actually make sense for what's actually happening. So that's kind of where this is coming from. But I'm kind of wondering, I was reading on your website, you're kind of talking about the connection between the mind the body, emotions, and then the soul. And one thing I thought that was interesting was when you're talking about emotions and like the energy that that carries. And 
how that interplays with all those different facets of the body, the mind, the soul. So I guess I'm mostly wondering about emotions and the energy of emotions and how that kind of interplays between all those different elements, if that makes sense, between the mind, the body, and the soul. Yeah. Well, it's funny as you're saying, asking that question, I'm reading this book, Gabor Mate, his latest book, The Myth of Normal. And so in there, he's talking a lot about emotions and how they get stored in our body and how we've overlooked that for so long and we need to start paying attention to that. But he was talking about this research they were doing at the Harvard Pediatric Center, I believe, where they were looking at child development. Right. And so as a baby, you know, freshly born, we don't have thought our neocortex isn't developed yet. It's still forming. So what do we have instead? We have emotions. So we're feeling all these things first. And so it's so ironic that thought is built on, I love the way you described it. Our thoughts as we develop into humans, older humans are built on the scaffolding of our emotional context. So we see the world as babies through our emotional responses. And then as our brain develops, we're building our reference model of the world based on thought that's built on top of that emotional reference point that we have. And so emotions are absolutely intricately related to our thoughts, even as fully adult, you know, rational human beings walking through this world. And I think there's so much we still don't understand about how those emotions live in our bodies and influence everything we do. Even myself, right? You know, I talked about this phase where I turned my back on all things spiritual and even, even emotions. And I thought the intellect, you know, was all I needed, right? I needed to be the smartest guy in the room and that was it. And it's so not true. <laughs> You know, our emotional experience informs and influences everything we do as human beings in this world. And our thoughts are half the time, you know, more trouble than, than they're not, right? Just because our mind runs away with us and our brain is this beautiful machine that's designed to keep us safe. But if we don't control it, it just runs away with us. So that's what was coming up as you were asking the question, but bringing that to like soul, like how do we relate? So we have this physical form, it's embodying emotions. We have this beautiful organ in our head that is creating thoughts based on our emotional responses in our body. But all that is the incarnation of this energetic form, I believe, our soul. And so our soul is kind of like this, I wouldn't say it's a driver, because most of us are not very connected to our own soul, but it's what's experiencing everything that's happening in this vehicle that we're driving while we're here on the planet. And so helping my clients get more connected to what's happening in their body, physically and emotionally, what's happening in their brain and why that's happening and how that relates to their emotions with a spiritual connection to their own self, their own soul is really the goal of the work that I do. Like, how do we bring all that together? And believe me, I'm not there yet either. I'm still working on myself, but that's the goal. That that was immensely helpful, what you said. And especially 
that we have. And, you know, I just had a baby not that long ago. So I I was there with seeing all these emotions and I'm like, you're really angry right now. (laughs) It's that anger coming from, you know, seeing that, or you're so happy about this. Where is that coming from? Right. You just see all these emotions that are, are bubbling up. And I feel like in our society, we talk about, we have a thought and that creates an emotion. We talk about that a lot. Like we have a thought and that's what creates the emotion. But I'm like, is that true though? Because a lot of times there's this, what is this that I'm feeling that's coming up? And I love what you said before. Like, is this even mine? I think that's the first thing we can do. Is this even my emotion that I'm experiencing? But when that's coming up, it's like, no, sometimes the emotion informs the thought and we try to rationalize what that emotion is. And sometimes that's not even right, you know, with what that is. So, cause when I learned that I'm like, that logically makes sense that a thought would inform an emotion, but I just find that that's not really true most of the time. So when you were saying that, I was like, oh, this is kind of confirming my theory <laughs> that you're talking about. So it was, that's just really interesting. And especially with children seeing that as well, that pediatric study. So now I'm going to have to check out that book, which we will link in the show notes as well. One other thought there, and I am by no means a a neurobiological expert, but as part of my training with this tool called brain spotting, we learn about the brain a little bit. And one of the things they call out, you know, there's many, many parts of the brain, but I mentioned the neocortex, right? The big gray curly part that we all see the front forebrain where all that's where our most of our thoughts are happening and some of our emotions too beneath that people refer to as the limbic brain which does a lot of things but one of the things it's doing is scanning all our sensory input constantly for danger and so there's a structure in there called the amygdala among others that are scanning for that danger and so like say i was in a car accident recently and it was very traumatic. And now when I hear screeching tires, I get triggered. It's the amygdala that's scanning your auditory input to say, oh, screeching tires, danger. Let's pump out some adrenaline. Let's get them ready to go. A lot of our emotions get triggered in that limbic brain. And one thing that's popped into my head as you were just talking, Emily, is our neocortex operates at roughly like a hundred milliseconds to like trigger a thought, which is like a tenth of a second or something like that. The limbic brain operates 10 times faster than that. So it's like 10 milliseconds. So no matter what cognitive tools you might have, the trigger in your limbic brain, whether it's from danger or emotion or whatever, is always going to override your emotional thought. And it kind of lends itself to what I was just kind of talking about, right? That our thinking and our thought framework is built on emotions because those are happening so much faster than our thoughts are. It seems like as a highly sensitive person that your limbic brain would be even more triggered because it's taking in more stimuli than like a neurotypical person. And so if that limbic part of your brain is just constantly being triggered by stimuli, it seems like there's more opportunities to have a response to it, thought or emotional or whatever. I think about one of the best, most helpful things I learned is that free-floating anxiety isn't always a cause of something. Like I don't always have to attach a thought to it because I think anybody who experiences anxiety, chronic anxiety, will immediately try to overlay a problem onto it. And so then we begin to think I am having anxiety because 
of this problem that I'm experiencing or this thing I'm afraid of, but that actually there are times where we experience free floating anxiety and there isn't any reason for it. And to give ourselves the gift of not trying to attach something to it can help it cycle through our system a lot faster. That was a huge gift that I started to give myself to be able to understand that there were different kinds of anxiety. There's the kind of anxiety that is the result of a legitimate situation or a concern, or like, maybe there's something about my safety that's a challenge right now. And then there are other times where you're just kind of picking up on free floating anxiety and it's not even really yours. And to be like, you know what? I'm just not gonna attach anything to that. That was an immensely helpful thing to learn. Yeah, I've, I've also heard people talk about that anxiety as like a wave. So this anxiety is just a wave that's rolling through, just write it out. It's going to pass, you know, and just let it roll through you. And like you said, don't attach any judgment or meaning to it. It's just there. Just know that it is and, and that it's temporary. Yeah, it's interesting teasing out the thoughts and the emotions from each other. You know, we spend a lot of time trying to put them together. And sometimes we don't spend enough time like pulling them apart or just not letting them connect and just sort of letting them exist independently of each other. It's an interesting path of self-inquiry to, <laughs> to play with those things and see what's helpful. It's different for everybody. Scott, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I really, really enjoyed it. Me too. Do you have any resources that you would recommend for people who want to learn more about sensitivity, empathy, energy? What are your favorite resources? Oh, well, so many books. <laughs> you know, I'm an avid reader, so there's tons and tons of books. But, you know, I mentioned Wendy DeRosa. I think her book's called The Empowered Empath if I'm getting that right, in terms of like energy healing and, and how that relates to an empath. Lisa Campion is another great resource. And I think her book's called Psychic Empaths or something like that. I can send it to you. But there's so many, so many great books out there for empaths. Those are two of my favorites. Or, you know, go get a Reiki session or try out grounding in all the ways that we talked about here today. And people can see you. Where can people find you? Thank you. Yeah. So the best way to find me is at thepathwellnesscenter.com. It's just T-H-E, path, and then wellnesscenter.com. Or you can find me on Instagram, Scott Van Boris Coach, on Instagram and Facebook. Those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Do you have an empathy or a, an HSP empaths group going right now? No, we just wrapped up in November. We're starting a new one in March. March 2nd will be when the in-person one starts. We're also going to start a virtual one over Zoom. People might be wondering what that looks like. So we talk a lot about some of the concepts and tools that we talked about here. But then we do some experiential work every session too. I don't know, one week might be like a cord cutting ceremony. One week might be, you know, this practice grounding. One week might be some mirror work. So we do lots of like experiential, like growth type work all around the theme of being an empath and a highly sensitive uh, person. So that'll be starting in March. But yeah, I do, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. We're working on getting a retreat together later this year 
And then I also do some workshops, which we may do online as well. So just a really condensed version of the group, just over a couple hours, just so people can get a feel for the information, the tools, and who they are as empaths. And is there anything else new that you want to share with listeners that you have going on that's coming up for you? Well, I, I plan is to start a men's group. I think there's actually a ton of empathic men out there that are hiding. <laughs> so hoping to pull those into a group, probably start out with that in person, but eventually I'd like to get a virtual men's group going as well over Zoom. I know some men that would probably really enjoy that actually. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Send them my, <laughs> send them my way. I do Reiki training as well. So Reiki two is coming up later this month. That's an in-person offering, but hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have some virtual offerings for that as well. Emily, did you have any last questions for Scott? No, I promise no more can of worms questions. It was just such a pleasure to talk with you. It's so interesting. And I feel like there's so many spiritual people, energetically aware people, you have all these concepts and what your experience is. So it's just so helpful to hear someone who's really thought deeply about this, that works in this space, to hear what your understanding of things is and what you've discovered. I feel like I've connected dots in a few places that weren't connected before. So thank you so much for this conversation. Me too. Me too. Thank you both. I have to say, I feel the same way. I learned a lot from both of you as well. I love, you guys are truly divinely curious. I love it. <laughs> it was a great experience. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you everybody for listening. As always, stay curious. Bye. Thank you for listening to Divinely Curious. Connect with us on social media and tell us what you thought about today's episode. You can find Emily at Emily Rose Divination or on her website, emilyrosedivination.com. You can also find me, Heather, on social media at Lovejoy Lightwork. Or you can visit my website, lovejoylightwork.com. Thanks for listening and stay curious.